the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot more information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to We Get Real AF. I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. Please remember to subscribe to We Get Real AF wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And be sure to spread the word about us in our mission. Last week, we introduced you to Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. She shared lots of great advice about how to protect your data during online meetings and when using common devices like your baby monitors at home. Well, this week, we have the rest of that conversation. Rebecca shares some more information about how to protect your healthcare data during contact tracing in the pandemic. And she talks to us about the implications of the Internet of Things. Let's start with the IoT. So. IoT stands for Internet of Things, and it's also often called smart devices because they they have computers attached to them and they have data associated with them. It's not just with these things that you think about in your homes, but there are also devices, IoT devices or Internet of Things that go beyond that. So there are some smart things that are called in, uh, industrial Internet of Things or IIoT. And these are things that have sensors in them. For example, several years ago already, I was helping a transportation company that was creating a new type of technology to implement and actually embed in highways. And not only would it be embedded in highways, but they would put these devices in the light poles that go along interstates and roads. And so they hired me to do a privacy impact assessment to tell them, you know, whether or not they had um, addressed all the privacy issues. So what's the privacy issues with that? Well, with these different types of sensors, they could tell not only when traffic was heaviest or lightest, but it was also tracking the license plates of the cars going by while they they took a good step forward with addressing privacy, they really didn't go far enough because you could still establish patterns to determine where people worked and the grocery stores where they shopped and the places where they took their children to daycare and the schools and so on. So, yeah, so the IoT, the Internet of Things, industrial Internet of Things, it's ubiquitous now. I mean, we have smart devices probably located in areas that you may not even think about. Actually, there was a pretty big um, hack that took place through a smart stop sign that allowed entry into the network to which that smart stop sign was connected back in 2019. Not only do you have those physical locations that are pretty much stationary, but keep in mind, every person you pass, um, they might have some IoT devices on them. So you have IoT devices that are on feet, they're on legs or on wheels, uh, passing through and creating these 
you know, types of networks. It, when I do my keynote on IoT devices, I like to show this really cool photo of uh, Des Moines, Iowa during uh, early morning when it shows all this mist coming up out of these beautiful lit up buildings. And I like to tell the, the folks in the audience, just think of that mist as the data that's just emanating out of all of these different buildings and devices that you see, because that's pretty much what it is. And uh, a lot of people in technology call that data clouds. So when you're thinking about IoT devices, just think about the fact that the more devices you wear on your body um, or that are on devices around you in your environment, those just have data that's potentially going out there for anybody to potentially access if that data is not encrypted or access is not controlled to that data. On this fascinating subject of privacy, we were talking about working from home and mm. the pandemic. Um, and it makes me think of the amount of information that our healthcare providers have. And of course, mm. now that's even more expanded with uh, contact tracing and that kind of information that's being gathered. So what are your tips and advice for us when we go to the doctor? Are there things that we should not share? Oh, I love that question. Um, the the business where I built a security and privacy program for throughout the 90s was a healthcare and financial um, organization, Fortune 100 organization. So I've been dealing with healthcare data since the very beginning. I've written two of my books are on HIPAA, Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Um, that's a regulation here in the United States that has actually been in effect since 2003 for the privacy portion of it and 2005 for security. So with that background, um, yeah, when you go to a, a healthcare provider, your doctor, your physician, go to a clinic, whatever, they are bound to follow the HIPAA uh, regulations that have many broad and also deep requirements for protecting your health data. So when it comes to your doctor, your doctor has been um, under these regulations for now 20 years, right? Two decades. So they're very aware that they have to follow very strict regulations to protect your data and not to share it inappropriately uh, and to make sure that they only use it in accordance with HIPAA and actually the Department of Health and Human Services has has issued many different multi-million dollar fines against healthcare organizations who do not follow those requirements. And in addition to that, um, your doctors and clinics who have had breaches because you know of insufficient security, they have also gotten huge fines and penalties. What worries me is the fact that contact tracing often is being done outside of you know the the healthcare space. It's it's being done by someone who is not a doctor or your health insurance company, an app creator who is collecting this data. They're not a provider. They aren't a doctor. They aren't a, an insurer. So they aren't bound by HIPAA. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, if they aren't bound by HIPAA, and I'm seeing this um, going on, and it, it's very disturbing to me that these app creators to do contact tracing, they're collecting very sensitive data 
and uh, they're sharing that health data and they're doing it in ways that is not secure, that can lead to breaches, that can lead to decisions being made with your health data that have nothing to do with tracking where uh, COVID infections might be at, or they even are doing it in ways that give insights into the people that you have been around. So I think that is a huge concern right now, the fact that so much of our COVID contact tracing, which I absolutely support being done in a secure way that supports privacy because we need to get it under control. But on the other hand, there's too many opportunists out there that are seeing a way to collect a lot of health data and use it and share it in ways that go far beyond the purpose of controlling a pandemic. So there's a huge ethics gap, basically. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, my gosh. And then we have telehealth, which is now growing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, My daughter had COVID-19 and she went through the contact tracing, which was just somebody calling her on her phone, which I'm sure isn't encrypted. (laughs) (laughs) And, And she actually had a telehealth appointment because of course, a lot of medical practitioners are saying, if we can do this online, it's better for everybody. Mm -hmm. But then we're sharing our information on computers that we haven't necessarily encrypted. So talk about that. (laughs) Talk about telehealth. When it's done uh, by a physician supporting their um, patients Keep in mind, again, there are still the requirements of HIPAA that must be followed. So let's say, uh, you know, you or your daughter are getting online to do telehealth. And even if you don't have encryption on your system, that site that is being connected to, it has to have encryption or it has to have the security built within it so that even if you don't have it, Um, that's going to still help to protect your uh, connection there. Now, there is a weak point there if you're doing telehealth from, let's say, again, uh, the airport or if you're in a a place with free Wi-Fi in a coffee shop. But hopefully you aren't doing your telehealth out in public like that. And the fact that your doctors have to have a very wide range of security implemented to protect that telehealth is is going to be something that I think provides many more people with the capability to get good health care. And certainly, especially in states and locations where so many different um, health care clinics have been shut down for a variety of reasons, I think telehealth now is something that's very important to use. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from Inphase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. I want to hear about your entrepreneurial journey, um, how you got into tech, and, you know, obviously privacy and data privacy 
before um, the digital world existed, but now how you transitioned into the digital world. So run with that. Tell us about how you how you started. I never planned for any of this. I took the road less open or I was the squeaky wheel who said something had to be done. So people said do it. But basically, I first got a bachelor's degree in computer science and mathematics. And uh, between getting that and my master's degree in computer science and education, I taught seventh through 12th grade math and computing. And then after getting my master's, I was hired to be a systems engineer uh, here in Des Moines, Iowa. In 2003, I was going to a potential client to get them uh, to speak with them about doing a risk assessment, privacy impact assessment for their organization. And an hour before my meeting, why I got a call from the CEO uh, of the consulting company I was working for. And he said, well, I'm shutting down the business. So I thought, oh, this is nice. I'm here in a different city. I'm going to meet with a potential client in an hour. So I thought, okay, well, I met with the client. You know, I, I knew I could do this. I had done this type of work many times. So I told the client, I said, I'm not coming representing this business anymore. However, I want to do this work for you. So, uh, you know, if you hire me, I know I can do this work. And if you aren't happy with it, you don't have to pay me. So they hired me to do the work. They were very happy with the job I did. I had one of the conditions of hiring me was that I had to create my own business. So that's when I created my LLC and at the beginning of 2004, they hired me back to do the same type of risk assessments and privacy impact assessments for the next few years. And then uh, they were acquired by a much larger organization. And when they were, they told me that one of the reasons why they were acquired was because they had such great security and privacy. So they, it really made me feel good to hear that uh, I had helped them to establish security and privacy through the results of my assessment. I also started teaching at the Norwich University in their master, master's degree program for nine years. And what I loved about that was all of the students were professionals who were working uh, in the IT field as either security officers or they wanted to be. They were from all over the world. So not only was I helping to teach them about security and privacy, but I learned about their real life experiences. And, you know, I even had students, actually several in the military, who were located active duty overseas in the Middle East. So it's just very surreal to have students who are are completing um, assignments for this master's degree program and then they're also telling you that they might be late because they either have to go to combat duty or dealing with something else. It seems like every time I've done something that has not been done before that has always helped lead me to new things and new opportunities. So I would say to everyone that uh, you know, don't be afraid to take take the road that has not been traveled yet. Um, in fact, I, just another one that I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about. A few years ago, I was asked to take my knowledge and, and experience with the smart grid uh, and security and privacy work there and actually perform some 
real tests, uh, security and privacy tests on some actual grid equipment. I thought I've never, I've never touched any of that equipment. You know, am I qualified to do this? I doubted myself. So I knew some people who were uh, PhDs in, in electronics. So I spoke with them and I realized after I spoke with them, these were smart people who had published all these books, but they didn't know about the smart grid. And I just realized, well, shoot, if they don't know the answers and I don't know the answers, I might as well do this. It just made me feel good to think that um, even though I knew nothing about the equipment, I knew about the technology and the security and privacy issues and was able to bring some benefit to um, the energy industry. I've seen this in so many of my friends, uh, my students, especially women. Oftentimes they're afraid if they don't know everything there is to know about something, then they don't feel that they're qualified to do it. Uh-huh, so true. And yeah. I, I wanna let them know, you know what? You don't need to know everything there is to know about something. In fact, in today's world, no one knows everything there is to know. Exactly. About it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do it. I mean, just like, you know, even after I'd been a professional for 20, 25 years, I was doubting myself. Don't feel that you have to be 100% knowledgeable in something before you do it. Um, you can do it if you, you have that a grain of knowledge and you have the a motivation to learn more, go ahead and do it. You can do it just as good as anybody else if you have the the mind to. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that's such a great segue into our lightning round. And we are so appreciative of you sharing all this great practical advice for our listeners. And I'm sure, you know, again, coming from 20 plus years of experience 20 plus years ago, you didn't see many women system engineers or uh, data privacy, you know, IT people. So um, kudos to you. So thank you so much for all of your uh, insights today. But yes, lightning round. I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Rebecca, finish this sentence. Women are? Women are just like men when it comes to our brains and our capabilities. I was uh, a finalist in the Cybersecurity Women of the Year. I love the fact that women are being recognized, but at the same time, I'm thinking it shouldn't matter. I mean, you don't see the Cybersecurity Man of the Year because when it comes to being capable of doing things in technology, Certainly gender does not matter. It truly doesn't. And I think too oftentimes people think that if there's fewer women in the field, that means they aren't interested. And it's that's not the reason. I think it has to do with opportunity. It has to do with having negative experiences. And I've, quite frankly, I've had a lot of negative experiences from others just trying to tell me that I'm I'm a woman from Podunk, Iowa. I was just told that two years ago. And I know it's it's hard to, but instead of focusing on the the one or two percent of people who are nasty, focus on the fact that you've probably got about ninety-eight percent of the other people who know you and support you who are really cool and 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 appreciate you. So 
hopefully um, everyone listening out there will realize that. And I know trolls, online trolls can be the worst, but you just got to learn to ignore them and secure your home so they don't find you. (laughs) (laughs) And I so agree with you with that um, aspect of being recognized as an honor, but also, you know, when they're still making a big deal about diversity and inclusion and including women in this space, that there's still work to be done. So I agree with you. The minute we can just say the best for the the person who's done the best in this category, and it just goes to that person who's doing the best, not a woman or a man or whomever, just in general, a human being. Exactly. (laughs) Another hashtag, no big deal. (laughs) What are three pieces of advice you'd give your younger self? Well, number one, don't be so afraid of what other people think. I used to just be too afraid of what other people might think. So like when I was getting my bachelor's degree in in mathematics and computer science, a lot of times I wouldn't say something or speak up in class or at the first job I got, because I would be afraid that everyone else knew in the room, but me. Now I realize if, if, uh, if I have a question, I ask it. And, you know, nine times out of 10, when I ask a question, everybody around me are like, oh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. And number two, if you want to do something that not everybody else is doing, that's okay. I mean, when I was in college and I I was a member of a sorority, but everyone else was in a different major. (laughs) I was kind of the oddball out in math and computer science. So even if all of your friends are doing other things, but you have interests that are different than them, uh, celebrate that diversity. It's okay. You still be friends. In fact, I still have friends from college that I'm in touch with today, and they're doing very, very different types of careers than I am, but I sure still have a lot of fun being around them. And then I guess number three to my younger self, I would say, don't be afraid to speak up if you see something that's going on that you feel needs to be fixed or that's that's not right if you stay silent you're complicit in what's going on that's wrong i found over the years that you know like i mentioned you might be called names <laughs> by someone but there's still 98% or 99% of the others around who you who are going to support you in what you're doing so uh you know you, you could impact somebody in ways that you don't even realize. I, I've heard from people that have listened to some of my radio shows or read some of my books, and it just surprises me in a very pleasant way when they tell me how they decided to go into a certain career because of something they heard me talk about or or something that I wrote about. And it's like, wow, really? Well, that's really cool. I Because a lot of times I had considered not even writing about that topic or talking about it. So it's like, well, I'm glad I went ahead and did something that I felt might not have been something that, you know, would have been, you know, even valued by anyone. So I guess those would be the three things. What is your favorite current application of technology for good? Well, coming back to those IoT devices, so they now have pills that you can swallow, and the circuitry is dissolvable, um, and and I won't go into the makeup of it, but the circuitry dissolves, but it analyzes 
your um, your digestive system and your other parts of your your body like to to see if you have cancer or to see if you have you know intestinal problems and so on and it communicates with a patch that's like either on your waist or on your arm and then it can communicate out you have to secure it but you, you it communicates out to an app on your phone typically to give this analysis and so you didn't have to go under um, the knife to find this out. It's it's being done through technology to help identify health problems. So I love that. I've never heard of that. But if you know a woman who's involved in that, we would love to talk about that on our show. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an aside. Yeah. <laughs> um, what resources do you wish um, existed now for women in tech, or if you have a resource for women in tech that um, you or people that are interested in getting in tech uh, that we, they should know about, please um, vocalize that. We'd love to hear it. Oh gosh, there are so many different resources out there. Um, I mentioned work doing work for NIST again, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. It's at NIST.gov. I would encourage uh, women out there check out their site because. I mean, it's not just about what I talked about. NIST covers all types of of science and technology, um, and they have all these research reports, and they have all of this information out of their website paid for by taxpayers, right? But yet, brilliant people have created all of this guidance and this insight. So I would encourage uh, women to go out there and look if they're interested in any type of STEM uh, topic and, and check those out. Certainly there are many, you know, podcasts uh, like yours that you have that are very valuable resources. So certainly listen to those podcasts. I have my podcasts uh, called Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America. And I've, I've done that. And what I try to do with that podcast, too, I think similar to yours, I try to really speak with experts and get their insights on various types of um, topics. So you can learn a lot there. And I actually had a, a young woman who is from South Africa who uh, contacted me and she said she was trying to figure out whether to go into law or go into technology. And she decided that she wanted to become a cybersecurity um, lawyer and do cases because she was so intrigued by that. So yeah, that, that just was really cool. That is cool. How gratifying. What a great feeling. Mm -hmm. What issue do you most hope technology will help to resolve in the future? I hope that technology can be used to really support and benefit everyone to get equal um, access and equal rights uh, as opposed to using technology uh, for ways to restrict people from getting equal access and equal rights. Of course, with any type of, of technology, it can be used for the good or the bad, right? Yes, absolutely. What inspires you? My 23-year-old, he just got his uh, computer science degree. So I'm building a new SaaS business, software as a service business, and I'm doing it with him. And uh, I love doing that with him because I know he's so capable. And also my younger son, who's uh, 
either getting a double major in aerospace engineering and um, mechanical engineering, I think, at this point. I'm inspired by seeing a 20-year-old and a 23-year-old who who do not fit what you see as being described as young 20-year-olds and late teens so much in the news. I mean, they're so smart and they're they're very logical. It's like, yeah, they don't fit what I see being reported on the news every night and people complaining about. Well, and it sounds like from their interests that you have inspired them as well. Exactly. So kudos mm-hmm. to you. Um, what is one thing that you'd like to learn more about, Rebecca? I would like to learn more about music and art. I wish I could sing because I can't, I, I'm, I'm terrible, but I still like to sing here in my, my Dobermans, you know, they, they like to hear me sing. So that's good <laughs> enough, I guess. <laughs> Rebecca, or kindred spirits. I come from um, a very uh, musical and uh, art filled family. We've been involved in music and um, drama f- ever since I can remember. Awesome. Yes. We love the art. Yes. The arts are amazing. Describe the future in one word. Possible. Hmm? The future's possible. I mean, I hear a lot of gloom and doom, but anything's possible. All right. Last one. Fill in the blank. Blank like a girl. Think. Think like a girl. I think that's, uh, I see so many people, if, if they would maybe try to think like a girl, maybe then girls would have more opportunities because they wouldn't be spoken to in ways that you know, after a while, make them want to just try something else. Wow. Insight. That's a light bulb moment. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's awesome. Rebecca, you have been, again, fascinating. You are such a font of knowledge, and I've learned a lot in our conversation today, and I know our listeners have too, and I just really appreciate your time. So thank you for everything that you're doing to help us all get wiser and safer in this new digital world. Indeed. Thank you. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed chatting with you here today. So best of luck to everything and stay safe. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at we get real af and visit our website at www.wegetrealaf.com don't forget to like comment and to subscribe to the podcast we also want to give a big shout out and thanks to sam mclean for providing sound production for the show you can find sam on instagram at mclean sounds that's m-c-l-e-a-n-s-o-u-n-d-s and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.